And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for basis of opinions. And today is April 9th, 2018. This is episode 232. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And today's show will mark the triumphant return of the good, the bad, and the ugly. We will also find our orange Kool-Aid glasses half full. And we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake! What are you drinking this week? I am drinking an IPA from the Duclaw Brewing Company of Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, it's called Enjoy Your Time Away. I'm not usually one for um, for Duclaw brews. I'm usually let down by them. This is better than I expected. Not bad. Heavy hop note. Um, yeah, not not terrible. Not terrible. Again, it's it's from Baltimore, Maryland. Not Bel Air. Yep. A little bitter. A little bitter. What about you? Uh, Jake, I'm drinking a uh, Dogfish Head Romantic Chemistry IPA. Scott, I thought I noticed a little romantic chemistry in the studio uh, this evening. A little bit of orange, a little bit of mango, put it together in an IPA. I'll drink that any day. All right. Good stuff. If you're interested to find out what we're drinking on the regs, please join us socially on Untapped, where I am at Jake E4025. And I'm at MAGN8606. And with that, well, Jake, it's time for a checkup. All right, let's go on and uh, meander through the medical wing. Um, Mark Trumbo playing the next two games at Bowie. Uh, it looks like the return is imminent. He'll be back soon. The real question just becomes what happens at that point. Yeah, who is going down in his place? Um, Kobe Rasmus uh, went on the DL as well this week. Um, nice little um, hip flexor issue. Was it? That's not what I read. What did you write? Because when I read, and at this point I was reading between the lines. Oh, okay. I viewed that as a pothole injury. Ah, uh, gotcha, gotcha. You got to be careful with those potholes in between the lines. Colby Rasmus can't be really hurt, can he? <sighs> he looks really bad at the play. We'll get into that later on the show, I guess. Uh, other people, Zach Burton, of course, is still injured. Will not be coming back until the end of May at the earliest. Uh, Gabriel Noah has uh, vanished into the black hole, which is the minor league uh, disabled list. Never to be spoken again until Dan Duquette can maneuver him safely through waiver wire. Uh, anybody else we're missing in terms of injuries or anything going on? No, the only thing that had been hurting over the past, uh, you know, first couple of weeks of the season was our hearts. But other than that, uh, the Orioles pretty healthy. All right. Well, let's go ahead. 280 characters list this week on the Twitters. Jake, why don't you go ahead and take the first one? All right. This is a tweet that comes from John Mioli, a fan favorite, if you will, from the Baltimore Sun. Uh, he tweets, of course, at John Mioli. Alex Cobb will start Saturday in Boston for the hashtag Orioles. Scott? The Alex Cobb uh, era in Baltimore is about to begin. Are you excited? You know what? I am a little excited. Um, again, pitcher here going to be here for four years, um, has shown a pretty decent track record. Yeah, I'm a little excited. I, th I think that um, we're going to finally actually see the roster and the rotation the way it was supposed to be. I think it's perfectly fair. Yeah. Uh, here's an interesting thought, uh, and this one comes from the win column at win column MD. Uh, does that mean he's a doctor? 
Yeah, this is actually uh, half of the Win Column MD is from uh, BSR collaborator Mike Long. Gotcha. So make sure you check that out. Uh, imagine Bundy, Harvey, and Givens combined for a win tonight. What a night it would be for Orioles pitcher development team. I understand where you're coming from here, but I'd rather just go for a perfect game, Dylan Bundy, but that's just me. Don't we go for that every week? Yep, and we're just left disappointed. All right, Scott, I had a problem with coming up with the tweet okay. to mention, so I'm just going to say they're all good. And you've probably seen this online already, but if you are not following the at Smiling Bird logo Twitter account, you are missing out. Uh, th- these people, uh, I think it's a Michael Danger 19, um, creates logos in the style of the Orioles Smiling Bird logo, but for other birds, giving the, uh, giving the uh, uh, taxonomical uh, name as well as the, uh, the common one. So you've got, you know, the, the Flamingo, the Roadrunner, the Pelican. They're, they're clever and they're fun. And I'm a big dork. So make sure you check that out. The at Smiling Bird logo. Jake, I've got a beef. And it's a major one. And it's with Andrew Stetka. Excuse me? It's with Andrew Stetka. Friend of the program, Andrew Stetka? Yes, you can follow Andrew Stetka at A Stetka. And he tweets as follows. Dan Duke had literally said, hashtag philosophically, we don't participate when it comes to this. Hashtag Orioles. And of course, he was responding to a tweet of Otani is having a very good day. And of course, Otani has been absolutely dominant for the past week. So, Andrew, I have a beef with you. How dare you apply logic and reasoning to Orioles Twitter? You lose 10 points, and may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's, a, uh, here's a tweet that I think is, is a good reference, but an even better point. And this is a tweet that comes from Kevin Cross, who tweets at Kevin A. Cross. And it says, Arauho. And it's a uh, reference to none other than Office Space, one of my favorite films. No one in this country can ever pronounce my name right. It's not that hard. It's Naganahine. Naganahine. Uh, not going to work here anymore. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Great reference. Arauho. We will remember the name as we'll get into a little bit later. Uh, this next tweet goes into the category of Amazing Many Play plus Orioles Twitter Shade. This tweet comes from Orioles on Masson at Masson Orioles. All rise, you may be seated. It's not my imagine this year. The Orioles, their uh, media arm of Masson, they are not only trying harder this year, they are, I would argue, succeeding at the social media. They're in the best shape of their lives. I mean, there was a time when it was only Indians Twitter that was fun. I would argue that we have, we may be reaching the golden age of fun Orioles Twitter. Yeah, but that's the... That's Masson. That's not obviously the Orioles. It's not like the team actually owns the... Never mind. I take back what I just said. But here's the thing. I think it will spread like an infection of fun. Like the the avian flu, basically. A fun infection. Avian flu. Nice. (laughs) All right. Yours is better than mine. I tip my cap to you, sir. That was good, Scotty. Yes. But we were not good. No. We were not good last We had a bad moment last week. And I think that we owe it to everyone to talk about it. Absolutely. Let's try to not make this too ugly, though. All right, 
you may have noticed that real live baseball passed this past week, and in episode 231, we failed to revisit one of our favorite segments, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And that, Scotty, is entirely my fault because my show notes were, uh, well, they were just... Copy and pasted? Yeah. In, insufficient. Yeah. But, you know, we, we wanted to pass that off as an exercise in small sample size, and, well, we've gotten a little grief for it on the interweb. So... This is our mea culpa. We decided not to just do the good, the bad, and the ugly this week. That we would we would do an extended version of one of our favorite segments. And next week, next week we'll go back to the uh, original standard format. Not to mention, it's a lot easier too. So it is indeed. Yeah. So in the meantime, let's go through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Super size of what was <laughs> last week. Uh, I'd like to start because sure. this is all my fault anyway. Yeah. Uh, my my good. Well, one of my goods for last week, and I can't believe I'm saying this, is Pedro Alvarez. Yep. I thought that Pedro Alvarez was a complete waste of a roster spot. He w- he has pop, sure, uh, but he's an abomination in the field. And all this lineup has going for it is the ability to hit the long ball. How much redundancy does one team really need? Besides, we don't have a flexible roster replacement for Ryan Flaherty. Well, I may have been mistaken. Uh, maybe the Orioles are exactly the kind of team that can afford to have a guy like Pedro Alvarez on the bench to provide clutch at bats when necessary. Scotty, is it possible that Pedro Alvarez is the 2018 version of Delman Young? Useless elsewhere, but a dependable veteran bat off the bench. Sure, it's it's possible. Um, we'll see how long he actually lasts for. But, um, you know, it, it doesn't really matter how long he lasts for. The fact of the matter is he has posted a positive contribution to the team even in the short sample size that has been in reality that's much better than you were expecting going into season saying Pedro Alvarez probably isn't going to yield any value whatsoever for this team and you're right small sample size and I'm sure we'll sing at some point but a win is a win a win is a win but I think it also provides the blueprint right don't overexpose him you know, don't rely heavily on overexposure Alvarez. in Baltimore is always a good <laughs> thing. A bad thing. But if we have just a little bit of Pedro Alvarez, we'll probably get the best of him. Gotcha. All right. What do you have for good? Uh, let me see what I've got for good. Uh, let's see. Oh, this is an obvious one. Uh, how about Dylan Bundy, who's been masterful to begin the season? Um, absolutely dominating out there. Um, I believe coming into tonight, I know that number is going to go down because he gave a two-run homer, uh, but I believe he was number one in Major League Baseball for F-War. I believe he was number 10 in terms of B-War. But Dylan Bundy has been absolutely masterful with getting um, a, a commanding aspect in terms of his striker rates, minimizing walks, and up until tonight, um, minimizing the home run ball. And again, it was it's one home run. But Dylan Bundy... Um, I, I don't want to mention this word out loud, but he is kind of being a, um, it, it rhymes with mace. <laughs> he's the best mace we've had. He's, he's the best mace we've had. It's exciting to watch because it's exactly the kind of pitcher we always hoped he would become. Sure. I I, I think we have to take this with a a little bit of, I don't think we're giving this the credit we where we should be giving it, which is. At a point within this podcast, we had effectively written Dylan Bundy sure, off. Sure, absolutely. Said, Dylan Bundy is not going to be the pitcher that we expected him to be. Dylan Bundy may be at best a relief pitcher going forward due to his arm issues and maybe not be able to come back. And we constantly beat, beat on the Orioles last year saying, oh my God, they're going to rip apart his arm. They're going to rip apart his arm. And that may still happen. But you look at the performance that he's putting out there right now and you're just like, all right. 
This is exactly what we need to happen in order to be able to be competitive in this league. Here's what I love seeing from him. He's not trying to throw 95 anymore, right? He's become comfortable in the pitcher that he is. Sure. And the fact that his slider has come along so far, the fact that his changeup is a dependable pitch, that's, I think, what's been the separator. Because his fastball might not be electric anymore, but he can spot it and he can get outs with those other pitches. That is such a great thing to see. Yep. All right, uh, Scott, I'm going to go for the uh, the two on here. Um, I'm going to go for the Pedro special. Okay. My next good is none other than Pedro Araujo. I think you got that right. Araujo. Uh, Pedro Araujo, may, he may be the jewel of the three Rule 5 guys that the Orioles currently have on the roster. His first outing was, let's call it, unimpressive. But the more recent appearances have been excellent. I was especially impressed with the innings that he threw in Friday's extra inning affair in uh, New York, where he had to go through the meat of the Yankees lineup and sailed through, I would say, pretty easily. Stanton may be scuffling, yes, but that does not make getting through that lineup any less impressive. If he can touch 92 in the gun, uh, hit his spots, and, and not allow big moments like extra innings in Yankee Stadium to overwhelm him, the Orioles may have found a diamond in the rough. Now, keep in mind, the bar is really low, right? The most successful Rule 5 finds that the Orioles have had thus far have been TJ McFarlane and Ryan Flaherty. So for what he is and how they got him and what they cost him, I think this guy could be a steal. Yeah, I I understand what you're saying, and I I do like what I saw um, in the Yankees series. However, I I do look back to that Astros series, and I think to myself, ugh. That being said, you're absolutely right. You look at what he brought in um, at the beginning of the season. You look at what he did during spring training. And the K rate is definitely there. The walk rate is also really high, too, which tells me mm-hmm. um, for a relief pitcher, he's not going to be that individual that we've seen in the past basically be that dominant seventh inning uh, relief pitcher that comes out of the blue, similar to Miguel Castro. But he might be able to put up serviceable multi-inning relief appearances. Um Maybe not in, you know, tie ball games against the best team in the major leagues, um, but perhaps within a one run game and just say, go out there and see how well you do with it. So, yes, I have a reserved optimism, but at the same point, I'm not sure if I would put him into my good category at this time. I think we've seen the Jacqueline Hyde. Right, and so now we get to to look and oh, so see. We'll, we'll see tears next. Is what you're <laughs> where you're hearing me? We get to see which he more reflects with each appearance. Yeah, I I, I understand what you're saying. Um, that's a very polite i'm full of crap i hear you we'll see what happens <laughs> uh my next good goes to an obvious one which again is manny machado mm-hmm. manny machado has been absolutely in fuego and there's nothing better to see manny machado go into new york and smoke some home runs against the yankees it just is it tickles me in a certain way he's a present yankee killer yeah it's okay if you giggle it only tickle a little uh listen i i love manny machado uh, you know, I said Manny Machado is going to have an MVP type season. Um, Manny Machado right now has 145 weighted runs created plus. Again, that's a lot. Small sample size, but think about back to last year. That first half of the season, Manny Machado uh, kind of looks like Jonathan Scope does right now. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, so, I mean, this is exactly what we want to see. And I know people are kind of harping on the defense aspect for Manny Machado, but Manny has made some really nice plays at shortstop as well. Yeah, he's still maybe not charging the ball as much as you want to see him do at shortstop. But again, I still think you look at the range that Manny is putting out there and um, 
good things are on the way as the season progresses. I agree. And I, I feel like I've been the most negative of the two of us about his defense. But I just want to be clear. He's going to play a very good shortstop, right? I happen to think that he was special, all-world, crazy at third. But he's going to be a very good shortstop, and that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and a very good shortstop is going to be enough. He doesn't have to be a top three defensive shortstop. If he can be a top five defensive shortstop and post, again, 140 weighted grades plus, he's going to be potentially an MVP candidate for this for this season. Um, I, I like what I've seen from Manny. I like his approach at the plate. I like what he's doing. Um, I, like I said, early in the season, but let's see what happens. Absolutely. All right, I'm going to go to my last good for okay. this segment and um my good is a lack of style points scott the o's were abysmal in the first week of the season and scraped a series win in new york by the skin of their teeth one might be tempted to say that this mode of winning is completely unsustainable jake it's unsustainable <laughs> that the bullpen will be sure to blow out it will that the starting rotations woes can't be hidden forever it has already been exposed that the lineup is frustrating and and uh is a mix of disappointment Double-digit Ks pretty much every single night. All of that may be true, except for the fact that all of that is true. But this week, the Orioles won games that they shouldn't have won. They went toe-to-toe with a real Major League Baseball team, which they did not look like for the first week. And I say they gave us a glimpse of the ghosts of Orioles' past. Tell me that you didn't watch Friday and Sunday's game and not Think of the Chris Davis game that he won in relief. Or the 2012 18-inning marathon in Seattle. The best that Orioles fans can hope for in 2018 is that the Orioles win when they're not supposed to win. That's exactly what we got in New York. And that, more than any stat, more than any individual accomplishment, is what I took away from New York. The Orioles felt fun again. They felt like a team that was not supposed to be what they ended up being, which was winners. Look, I don't think, or at least I didn't think, that the Orioles had a legit shot of the wild card. I still feel like they're on the outside looking in. They're going to be in the conversation, but it's a longer shot than I'm comfortable with. It didn't feel that way in New York. More importantly, I I, I have an issue with you on this one in terms of lack of style points. All right. The games this weekend had all the style points. <laughs> Michael Gibbons catching a ball, sliding into home plate, and tagging out Didi Gregorius is a play that we probably will never see again as an Oriole fan. That's a play that would normally bounce off the catcher's glove, and you'd be like, well, that's typical Orioles. Or, you know, just even the play at home where, you know, they say, okay, we're going to double him up and kind of go from there. I mean, this is just, there was a ton of moments here, and Matt Kremenser actually posted this on Camden Depot just kind of going through all the moments of the game, but you're absolutely right. This had a feel similar to like that Chris Davis game in 2012 on Mother's Day. And yes, a pitcher did not, I mean, a, a player did not come in and basically pitch such as Chris Davis, but there was all kinds of weird and wacky moments that made it really magical. Um, so I absolutely completely agree with you that this gave me a brief aspect in terms of ghost of, you know, Orioles past. But I will say that I thought this weekend had a ton of style points and it didn't lack of it sure but i mean you know they didn't win in nine by nine points or anything like that they had sure. to scrape it out in extras but i the point is well seated i think that you have uh i think you've explained yourself well all right my last one for good has to go to richard blyer who is absolutely um incredible on sunday with his performance uh richard blyer again 
Yeah. He doesn't do anything very well, is the best way to describe it. I mean, I'm looking at his stat line, 2.84 Ks per nine, 2.84 walks per nine. But again, he came out, he pitched four games this week, six and a third, and he limited everyone to a 1.42 ERA. And, you know, you look at what Richard Blyer does, and he's basically a whole lot of nothing, but he is effective nothing, is the best way to describe it. And there's this one tweet that came from Rockabaco with a quote from Richard Blyer, and I think it sums up... Um, exactly what you want to see from any Orioles player. And it goes as far as follows. Richard Blyer, I'm working three days in a row. I told Buck I had nine years in the minor leagues, so I had nine years off. I'll pitch every day the rest of the year. I really don't care. As long as I'm in the big leagues, I'm available. Hashtag Orioles. This is exactly what you want to hear a player on any team say. This is the Baltimore attitude that people like to hear. Uh, Jake is getting another beer. That's that repercussion, the microphone. There you go. All right. There we go. But Richard Blyer is um, absolutely amazing. Um, again, I, I think I finally have put a face now to Richard Blyer. He was this, you know, mysterious man behind the hood, even though, like, he came out every single day and pitched. But what? That's not, not appropriate anymore? Here's the thing about Richard Blyer. I'm yeah. going to get – I'm moving right past the hood. Here's the thing about Richard Blyer. Um, the quote that you just read. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Right? It makes me oh, – like it's, it's Baltimore true and true. That that fills me with glee, but there's something even more fun from that interview that didn't make that tweet. Okay, uh, Gary Thorne asked Richard Blyer what it was about the mound in New York at the Bronx in Yankee Stadium that made him yeah. abil- uh, able to pitch that well, and he he kind of like wandered into the answer. And he was like, I don't know, maybe it's because I got a chip on my shoulder. I mean, after all, they did DFA me a couple of years ago. You have to know, Richard Blyer relished in being able to help beat the Yankees. That, more than anything, I love. That is a good cause. Yes, absolutely. All right, let's go ahead and stretch on out and maybe go into bad next. All right, let's 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 take the bad. Okay. Uh, Scotty, my first bad is going to be Tim Beckham. When Tim, uh, when Tim Beckham came over from the Rays in the, at the trade deadline last year, he looked the part of the former first-rounder. The real question was whether Beckham could be that guy if given consistent at-bats, which was one of his problems in Tampa. For his part, the Orioles' new shortstop totaled an impressive 113 weighted runs created plus. Here in the early 2018 campaign, Beckham is off to a slow start. Dismal, in fact. Beckham has a weighted runs created plus of 45. But it may help to remind ourselves that he really has been, or at least was in 2017, a boom-or-bust player. Looking through the months of, of his 2017 season... Let's see if you can notice a pattern, all right? In March and April, 112 weighted runs created plus. In May, down to 82. In June, up to 133. In July, down to 45. In August, all the way up to 183, which is really what made him look so impressive. But then in September and October, down again to 58. When Tim Beckham is not going good, nothing is good. In fact, you might say it's been bad. Yeah. Again, it's to be expected, though, for a person that's going to bat seventh in your lineup. I had to pick something, Scotty. Just just a detail. Uh, I will pick someone else at the bottom of the lineup, and it has to be catchers at the plate. Um, And, you know, like Casey at the bat? Pretty much. Uh, You look at Caleb Joseph, and I don't think anyone's really looking at Caleb Joseph as an offensive juggernaut, but Caleb Joseph has been. uh, abysmal uh, over the past week negative 61 rated ones created plus uh not to mention 
a 52.6% K rate uh, this past week. Um, similarly, Chan Sisko has been pretty terrible too with a 14 weighted runs created plus with a 53.8% K rate. And I think we all came to the season saying, well, at least Cisco will have good offense, but Cisco hasn't shown that offensive prowess and that plate discipline that has been talked up in recent times. So Chen Cisco and Caleb Joseph have both been pretty terrible um, at the plate. Hopefully one of them breaks out soon. I feel like Caleb Joseph is really close at this point, um, but it's been pretty awful seeing our catchers come up at the end of the lineup every single time and not being able to turn the lineup over um, and begin everything once again. I think you're being unfair. I probably am, actually, in this case. This is not the worst we've seen from Caleb Joseph. Oh. He already has. He already has RBIs. A run batted in. Yeah. All right. Uh, my second bad for this uh, good, bad, and the ugly extended version will be Jonathan Scope. Okay. The 2017 most valuable Oriole has been not so valuable. Now, it's early, but he's not doing much in the heart of the order. I will say that watching him drop a bunt uh, for a base hit was a welcome sign. At least he's not too proud to help the team when he's not at his best. But he is undeniably not at his best. I can't tell, Scott, and I, I need your eyes. Is it that things are just not falling his way? Or is that that he is so deep in a funk that he can't even see his way out? Uh, you know what? I, I, I mentioned this earlier in the show. He reminds me so similar to Manny Machado in um 2017 to begin the season maybe not so pop-up heavy um but you know jonathan scope's got a decent babbit at 348 so far this past week um but his k rate's up again at 25.7 and his walk rate's all the way down to 2.9 percent we've talked about this in previous seasons where when jonathan scope got good last year his k rate went up i mean his walk rate went up i just don't think jonathan scope is seeing the ball very well right now so I do think it is a funk. I do kind of hope that he can work out this whole aspect of plate discipline and um, get back to his performance as he did last year. My, me personally, I don't think he gets back there. Um, but I do think that he has a decent season, just not the type of season that we saw last season. Well, only one Oriole can be the most valuable every year, and this year to clearly be Manny. Or Anthony Santander. <laughs> Who's your bad? Uh, let's see. My next bad has to go to... Uh, Brad Brock walking a tightrope as of late. Um, Brad Brock has been pretty awful, um, starting with opening day, coming into that high-pressure situation. I, I think the Orioles are going to have to do something. And I mentioned last week's show I did not want to pile on Brad Brock, mm-hmm. and I think things are going to get better. I, I think the Orioles are going to have to say, Brad, you're going to have to pitch the seventh inning, and we're going to go to Darren in the, in the eighth. And then we're going to go to Givens in the ninth. And I don't see any reason why that's not going to be a good thing. All right. I don't quibble with you on moving Brad to the seventh. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Who plays better against lefties, uh, O'Day or Givens? Neither. Okay. I don't think the drop-off is quite as bad for O'Day against the lefties as it is for Givens. Maybe maybe I'm incorrect about sure. that. But I would rather have that in the ninth so that you don't even have to worry about that. Right. Well, let's let's just do this instead. If there is a lefty, we just bring uh, Zach Burton in. I like that. You like, like that? Him. Either that or we could leave him until it's way too late. Right. Until we've missed the opportunity to win. Or, you know, just bring Richard Blyer in. He's a lefty. I like where your head's at, yeah. Scott. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think the Brad Brock closer aspect is he can do it. He, he just hasn't. <laughs> no, it's, it's not even that. It's... um. 
He's got Jim Johnson syndrome, basically. What if I say he'll never surrender? He is the ninth a, inning. He's a pretender, okay? And um, Brad Brock will be better served going to the seventh inning and basically entrenching Givens as as the closer at this point. I'm so sad the way that ended. That was so much fun. I love that song. Yeah. Him coming in. To, oh, man, it was so much fun. All right, my next bad is Nestor Cortez Jr. Yes, another lefty. Yeah, absolutely. And another Rule 5 guy. Yeah. It seems like the Orioles are trying to hide Cortez, but the roster can't afford that. I, I, I question this. How long is his leash? At what point do the Orioles decide that going down to two, two Rule 5 guys is a good way to go and allows the greatest roster flexibility and the best chance to win now when they're clearly in win-now mode. I mean, have you? do you think there's a path forward for Cortez being a meaningful part of the bullpen? Absolutely. You do? Absolutely. Even with your love affair with Richard Blyer and Zach Britton back there, you want another soft-tossing lefty? I I think what we're failing to realize here is Nestor Cortez is probably not going to add anything of value to the bullpen going forward. But as Buck has pointed out multiple times with rosters, Moose, don't think about the roster moves until you get close to the point because someone is going to get hurt or, you know, some pothole is going to pop up in the middle of the parking lot. So don't even think about it or worry about it. Are you saying he'll get hurt and then he'll have to stay on the roster for 44 days next year? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So I like where your head's at. Yeah. So again, don't even think about this. Just let it all play out. And, and I want to be clear. I'm not even beating him up for the performance that we've oh, seen no. so far. I just think that his existence on the team is asking too much. Uh, this comes back down to the uh, the depth in the bullpen. And yes, there are some really nice pieces. But as we saw during the Astro series, um, that depth can come back and bite you pretty quickly. Can we talk about uh, bullpen depth just real quick? Sure. Totally non-good and bad and the ugly related. But Hunter Harvey. Yeah. Coming up as a reliever. Yeah. The Orioles needed an arm. They went to their top prospect. What are your thoughts on that? Um. You know what? I, I, I've i got a few issues with this. Um, I understand why they did it. Um, because they're insane. No, because they need an arm, and they might as well go ahead and bring an arm up that was going to basically pitch tonight as it is, so go ahead and do it. Um, we've seen this act before from the Baltimore Orioles where they just say, oh, we need an arm. Let's go ahead and bring this person up. And we saw this with the Kevin Gossman aspect. Um, and, and Kevin Gossman mentioned that, you know, he managed to get through it, but it was something that he looked at every so often saying, am I going to get option? Am I not going to get option? And I don't think it's the same scenario as it was for Kevin Gossman, but this yo-yoing of, um, okay, you're going to start in Bowie and then be like, actually, no, we're actually going to go put you in the bullpen has to do something, um, both to your mentality, but also, um, your physical rehab as well. I mean, the point of the matter is if Dylan Bundy doesn't get into the game tonight, then you've wasted an opportunity for him to get his three innings. So it further stunts his growth and development. I understand the move needing to be made because of what happened this past weekend. Uh, I just think that the value it brings is probably not as as, as good as basically just saying, you know what, we're just going to keep our prospect in there. There's a reason why other teams do not just say, we're going to bring our number one prospect up just basically to fill this role for one night. How old is Hunter Harvey? Like 22? 22? Okay. I think it's 22 off the top of my head. Let, let, let me, me check ask, this up. Okay. While you look that up, I'm going to make my point. Let me ask 23. you 23. Okay. He's 23 years old. Yes. Uh, do you think the Orioles are going to matter in 2019? Uh, I do, actually. Really? Yeah. 
I'll have what you're having. Yeah. Okay. They're going to sign Bryce Harper, piss <laughs> the entire fan base off. <laughs> um, okay. I, I am not as confident as you are that the Orioles I, I are going to matter. the Orioles are going to matter just as much as they do during 2018. Oh, stop it. That hurts my feelings. <laughs> do you think they're going to matter in 2020? Uh, yeah, I think it's the same aspect. They're going to be matter just as much as they do during, tw- during 2018. All right. The point I'm trying to get to is that the Orioles need to win now. And the, the moment I, and the point now. I'm making is they're probably still a 75 win team. <laughs> Hunter Harvey, if if he's one of the 12 best arms in the system, they they need to damn the torpedoes and have him in the in the major leagues. Whoop, whoop. And if it hurts his development, his career is not going to matter in the history of this franchise. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So says I. So says you. Uh, let's go to my final bad, and it's going to be ghost runners at second base and i'm so glad that we didn't see ghost runners at second base this week (laughs) because this further proves why extra innings are so miraculous staying up on friday night and just watching the ball game and just being like all right i know i've been up now for close to 20 hours and i really should go to sleep and my hand is shaking a little bit (laughs) but i'm gonna stick it out and see what happens and when you see pedro alvarez hit a grand slam you just are like, yes, and you're just trying not to wake up the rest of your family, but you're just so excited because it's something you hadn't seen during the entire Dark Ages. The scripts were normally written. You basically could say, this is the way it's going to work. Um, and it, that flipped the script. When you saw Judge catch that ball against Caleb Joseph and be like, great, the Yankees are going to come back out now that Judge has hit this. Judge He's, is going to come back. Judge is here. coming up in the fir- as the first batter. We know it's going to happen. Judge is going to launch it about 700 feet. Um, MLB will play the video on loop on MLB forever. Network forever, um, and uh, we will see this game in the, in the, for the rest of eternity. Basically, N- next to the highlight of Trout robbing. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> yes. Which one was the better play exactly? <laughs> um, but even the aspect on Sunday's game of the you know just the whole you know drama and aura of it, extra innings makes those games specials. And yes, there can be other special games, but. There's weirdness that happens in extra innings baseball that you're not normally used to seeing, and we saw a bunch of it this week. So thank God that we did not have Ghost Runners at second, um, because we wouldn't get to see the drama and um, the weirdness, which is extra innings baseball going forward. Here, here, total cosign. All right, let's go to ugly. Yeah, um, my first ugly is complicated. It always is. I'm not sure if it's Mike Wright that's ugly, yeah, or if it was me. No, it's it's definitely Mike Wright. Because I, I think shame on me. You know what? Shame on you. you punch a wall, okay? <laughs> With which hand? Uh, uh, Make sure you tap on it first. Shame on me because I thought after his first start that he wasn't nearly as bad as I had expected. So maybe there was like a, a glimmer of hope that he might make it a couple of times through the, the rotation without imploding. And wow, how wrong I was. How young. How naive. How long ago this was. Uh, but he was who we thought they were. The guy that couldn't record three outs at Yankee Stadium. That's exactly what we have in Mike Wright. Mike Wright, who I hope someday is Tommy Hunter 2.0, a hard-throwing uh, reliever who only has to get three outs and it can throw it at 96. He might be a, a quadruple-A player. Oh, and yeah. I'm over seeing him in the rotation. Experiment failed. He's ugly. Uh, Jake, I'm going to go in a similar vein. 
uh, mildly this week is going to be Chris Tillman, <laughs> who uh, has posted a 2.89 case per nine and a 7.71 walks per nine, uh, posting a um, impressive 8.68 ERA, 6.35 FIP, and a 7.10 X FIP. Jake, I asked you this question. Mike Wright or Chris Tillman? No. You have to pick. No. You have to pick. Hunter Harvey. That is not an option. You know that. Uh, Richard Blyer. That is not an option whatsoever, even though he wants to pitch every single day. Miguel Castro. Miguel Castro is a potential option, but not a very good one at that either. Uh, Chris Tillman, I guess. Really? Uh, All right. Here's my beef, and I completely agree with you, and you know how much I hate Mike Wright. But Chris Tillman is worse than Mike Wright. And I'll, I'll go with this aspect is Chris Tillman is not getting nearly any strikeouts. He is putting the ball in play at a record place. Um, the balls hit off of him, almost always extra base hits. And Chris Tillman also has a track record from last year where he was this bad too. Why the heck are we continuing on with Chris Tillman when we basically said, hey, if Chris Tillman really is this bad, he can't continue to pitch with us. I'd rather see... Up and down starts from Mike Wright, um, especially as a fifth starter, than to see Chris Tillman constantly come out there and say, I'm probably going to put up five or six runs every single game. You are not wrong. Yeah. As much as we want to basically DFA Mike Wright, he's probably a better option than Chris Tillman is right now. Oh, my gosh. Is Chris Tillman this year's Wade Miley? Do we need to fire Chris Tillman into the sun? No, you're not correct. Okay. Chris Tillman is this year's Chris Tillman. (laughs) That hurts so bad. (laughs) The thing about Chris Tillman that's so frustrating is that he either throws it right down the middle of the plate or a completely uncompetitive pitch. Yeah, he's not good. (laughs) Yes. It's it's as simple as this. He does not belong to be on any Major League Baseball team. He can't even be in the bullpen right now. He needs to be released. And I know people are going to say he might get it together again. No. There is nothing that is shown by by Chris Tillman of being a decent pitcher. Even Mike Wright has shown some semblance of being a pitcher. Not a very good one most of the time, but has shown sparks of potentially putting together a decent spot start here every once in a while. And again, you know, I like Chris Tillman. He had a good career as yeah. an Oriole. If you look back actually at his stats, they're a lot better than I think you'd you'd sure you'd realize. Uh but those days are over. Those days are over. They're over. All right. My next ugly is, and we had to do this. It's Colby Rasmus. Oh, yeah. And Scott, I could go through the stats. I could tell you the number of strikeouts versus number of at bats. I could tell you the number of times he came up with win probability added that just plummeted. I could give you his weighted runs created plus, which, by the way, is not a positive integer. But I'm just going to say this be gone, sir. Colby Rasmus, it's been real. Get out of the clubhouse. I don't need you. I didn't want you in the first place, and I certainly. Don't want you now. Colby Rasmus, you are, in addition to being a bad baseball player, an ugly human being. And I don't say that lightly. No. It's not It's not cool to make fun of a person's physical appearance. But when you strive that hard with that kind of facial hair to look the way you do, you fall right into the category. So, Jake, I, I asked you this question, um, and you know I hate this question on Sports Talk. Um but Mount Rushmore is Colby <laughs> Rasmus 
on your Mount Rushmore of most hated Orioles players of all time. No, absolutely not. And that's only because for two reasons. Okay. One, it's a it's a because you hate relief pitchers. Basically. Yes. <laughs> First, it's a recency bias, right? right? So we we are anguished by Colby Rasmus right now because sure. he's Colby Rasmus. Um, but if he goes after this, fo- uh, you know, quote unquote injury, his impact will be minimal. You come back to me when he's Kevin Gregg, and we'll talk about. We'll talk about that. So he doesn't even make the top four for you. No, absolutely. Not even close. That's a great segment topic for a future show. (laughs) When we're scraping the bottom of the barrel, if the Orioles end up tanking, let's let's do uh, 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 let's do Mount Rushmore the worst player. Gotcha. Uh, My bad or my ugly for this week also is going to go to Chris Davis, who's been um, pretty (sighs) terrible in his approach. But I will give him this much: people have been piling on on Chris Davis, and I'm not even going to be putting Chris Davis in the ugly category. I'm going to actually put. The haterade that has been applied to Chris Davis as the major aspect that has been ugly. Look, that's not where I thought this conversation was going. Chris Davis um, has been not great is the best way to describe it. Again, 27.3% K rate, which actually is not that bad for Chris Davis. Um, In reality, I mean, it's not that bad. Um, 95 weighted runs created plus. I think, though, we look at Davis and we say Chris Davis, for as much money as we're paying him, should be absolutely going out there and hang a home run every single time, which is just not going to happen. It never has for Chris Davis. It comes back to a point that was made on Masson tonight was Chris Davis is going to go through these ebbs and flows of he's going to be super cold, and then he's going to be super hot. And when he's super hot, everyone is going to fall in love with him once again. The problem is when Chris Davis is super cold, he needs to be treated just like Buck is currently doing, which is saying, I'm going to give you a few days off. I'll let you clear your mind. And then the only other thing that Buck needs to do now he needs to say, Chris, until you can start hitting again, you're going to be batting seventh in this lineup. And once you can start doing well up there, you'll get moved up to the sixth slot and the fifth slot. But for the time being, you're at the bottom of the order and show me something that is of decent value before I bat you higher. And I'll say two things about that. Yeah. One, the money's already spent. Money's already spent. Right? So yeah. so that shouldn't even be yeah. a consideration. In this, in this aspect of DFAM or send them to minors, stupid. It's just a yeah. waste of the energy that people type because it's not going to happen. It's not, it can't happen. So don't even even ask that question. It just, it's, it's, it's pointless. But for all the negative things you could say about Chris Davis, and you can say many, you can say many. One thing I will say in his defense is that his ego can handle all of this. If Chris Davis has batted seventh all year, because that's the hitter he is, he'll try to be the best seventh hitter that he can be. Right. I have no I have no concerns with Chris Davis being lowered in the batting order and having that affect him, you know, mentally. That's not the problem. Right. The problem is for some reason he came down with the sucks. You're correct in the fact that Buck Showalter is doing exactly what needs to be done with him. And I think it can work with Davis if he can get back to some semblance of a productive player, because, you know, being a seventh hitter with, you know, the salary that he's got won't be a problem. Right. But the the Chris Davis haterade. It's pretty ugly right now for Baltimore fans because I guarantee that as soon as he starts hitting home runs again, people are going to be all over his dongs. We just want to root for Chris Davis. He's such an easy guy to root for. He's like a Baltimore menace. Ugh, don't say that. All right, my ugly, my final ugly for this segment is going to be, well, I'm going to go back to Buck Showalter. But I'm going to go to the fact that people are starting to talk about Buck Showalter being one of the managers possibly on the hot seat in 2018. In fact, in an article I read, it said that he was the the manager most likely to be fired in 2018. That 
is absurd. That is the dumbest thing I've read in a long time. It is crazy. Here's the thing. We have seen bad managers in Baltimore. We know bad managers. Buck Showalter, not one of them. Now, you can look at a start like Baltimore had and think to yourself, well, why are all the players playing crappy? Maybe it's a leadership problem. Maybe he's lost the club. No, that's not it. The fact that Chris Davis can't remember who 2013 Chris Davis is, is not Buck Showalter's fault. The fact that uh, Jonathan Scope can't seem to, to find the ball, not, John, uh, not, uh, Buck Dave, uh, not Buck Showalter's fault. None of this going on is Buck Showalter's fault. But when you look at those extra inning games and Buck coming out to the mound, not to make a pitching change, but to discuss defensive alignment, to maybe get a message across to his pitcher. Those are the moments I trust the most, right? I think Buck Showalter, with all that he's done, he gets a free pass for 2018. And I think that if you give him time, you'll be pleased with what you see. So everybody who's saying that, oh, Buck Showalter needs to go, you need to just be quiet because you're ugly. Jake, my ugly is going to go to you. That does not surprise me, but why? Jake, uh, this tweet of whatever else you were tempted to do on Sunday, <laughs> dot, 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 now may be the time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That was me being uh, negative, being short-sighted, but most importantly, being wrong and deliciously so. So, Jake... Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> I will tell you, that's the best kind of crow. That is well-served, uh, well-prepared crow, and it was delicious. That's all I have for my ugly. <laughs> uh, Scotty, it's hard right now, after the series that we experienced in New York, to find bad, to find ugly. I don't know about you, but I think a lot of Birdland is riding high right now. I think we should pick this moment. To talk a little positivity before it all goes off the rails. Positivity. Scotty, this may shock you, but we have occasionally, occasionally been accused. Of being negative. Yep, we have. Not only here on this podcast, but especially on the Twitters, as you uh, so accurately showed there. Yeah. But here's the weird thing. You and I, not negative people. Generally, no. We are not negative people at heart. Weirdly enough, Scott and I are actually optimists. Despite all evidence to the contrary, despite everything that you hear on this show, Scott Magnus and I, we are people who believe in the human spirit. Absolutely. Right? 100 losses. <laughs> we believe... <laughs> In the concept that if you just trust the process, everything will work out in the end. And I think like the 2016 election, I think you and I <laughs> not only look for the best in people, but I think that given the alternative, we we find the best in people. We're optimists, Scott. We're fools. But there's a difference. No, there's a difference between being optimist and being fools. Fools willfully lie to themselves. Oh, like Jim Hunter. Yes. <laughs> and that's not something that you and I can do. After 14 years of having to lie to ourselves just to get excited about the Orioles, we're not going to do it anymore. 2012 put all that to bed. And so sometimes that means that we say things that are mean, but true. Sometimes we say things that are just mean, 
Because in addition to being optimists, in addition to caring, in addition to, to believing in the human spirit, sometimes we're just just for the fun of it. But bear with us. Please, Birdland, do not be surprised. Because this is the time for us to interject a little positivity into the podcast. This last series in New York felt good. I think there's a little room for optimism in the 2018 season. And as the 2018 season moves forward, I want to bottle this feeling. Because we get through you know, a bad series loss or a bad losing streak. I want to remember that things can feel as good as they felt this weekend. Let me, let me get you started. Okay. It's amazing what one win can do. The Orioles won a game on Friday, right? But before that, an unimpressive and uninteresting win on Thursday. And it's crazy what one win can do. The Orioles were one and five. They were playing the evil empire. They were in New York. You expected the worst. And the Orioles came through with a victory. And I don't know about you, but after that game, I was like, yes, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is what I love about baseball. This is the, this is the secret sauce. This is the magic that baseball makes me feel. This is why I have a stupid podcast that I, I podcast you know, from my mother's basement every week. This is why I check the, the stats every, every morning. It's amazing what one win can do. And it's a good reminder of why we love baseball so much. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, you go into that Yankee series and you think if they can just win one game here, yeah. you know, maybe they can salvage this April. And now you're looking at a completely different saying, you know, the Orioles, when they went up to Yankee Stadium last year, only won two out of 10 games they were at the Yankee Stadium. So now they have bettered that in one series. And I'm not saying that they're going to do that every single series. But if you can pull off that kind of series once or even twice during a season, it can change the dynamic of the entire season in terms of your division. Playing and winning those road games uh, in your own in your own division are huge. And um, do I think the Orioles are going to contend for the AL East? Absolutely not. But it's nice to see them be competitive against the AL East, um, specifically the Yankees, um, and just play really good baseball at that and really competitive baseball. And even if they wouldn't have won, um, it was still really good competitive baseball. You know, we watched them get outclassed by a good team in Houston, right? They were just they were just outclassed. But we expected New York to be a good team. And the Orioles were not outclassed in that series. Um, so, you know, call me crazy, but I felt good about baseball. And I needed that after that first week. Totally agree. Um, next one. Um, we just went through the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there's a lot of good to look forward to this season, in my opinion. Um we're seeing really good performances from Manny Machado. We're seeing really good performances from Dylan Bundy. We're seeing really good performances from Adam Jones. Trey Mancini, as much as we said, he might have a sophomore slump, has shown a resiliency up at the plate um, and an approach that potentially may make him a decent leadoff hitter. So there's a lot of positive there. There's also a ton of negative. But we knew coming into the season that there was going to be negative. The fact that we're really seeing some positive um, that is balancing out that negative is exactly what we were expecting. And as we talked about before, I think the Orioles are probably going to be that 500-ish team for the entire season, and it's going to come down to the last six weeks. Can they make a run? And can they make a run? And um, for everyone that's saying Manny Machado is going to be gone by July, I don't see that happening. I see the Orioles being right there, and they're going to say, 
damn the torpedoes, we're going to make this happen. And remember how we used to have to try to care about this team in the Dark Ages, right? Like, remember back to 2011 and how you used to delude yourself oh. into the things that matter. We Let, let's, watch- not, let's not go that far. We would be talking Ravens NFL draft right now yeah. if it was typical Baltimore radio. People would not be coming calling into sports radio to talk about this Yankee series right now. They'd be calling in to talk about who they thought we were going to pick in the third or fourth round, and it doesn't even matter. And the thing is, is that we get to watch, as you just showed, a lot of really compelling players play really good baseball. Um, all right, so here's the thing. The season started off just as poorly as it possibly could have. They saved me from misery on opening day, which I appreciate, but other than that, they gave me nothing. But where are we now? The Orioles are 4-6 and six as they play on Monday night here on the 9th, right? Yep. So there are 152 games left. 30 teams in Major League Baseball are still in playoff contention. Yes, even the Tampa Bay Rays, still in playoff contention, and the Orioles are one of those 30 teams. It's early yet, and none of these mistakes, the pitfalls, the the losing streaks, the miserable games matter a lick right now. The Orioles have to try to get themselves right. The Orioles have to try to build some momentum. The Orioles just have to stay in the picture. And for as painful as it was to live in the moment of that opening week, try to live in the moment of weeks like this, where they play a really impressive series in New York. There will be plenty more of those through the season, and that'll get you by. Absolutely. I mean, I think if we are looking for some some words to live by, I think we don't have to turn any further than JP from Angels in the Outfield. Hey, it could happen. (laughs) Why not? Why not? It's really happening. And, and, you know, the one big thing that we talked about in the ugly segment is Chris Tillman and Mike Wright both being absolutely awful. And it's been the toughest portion of the season to see them pitch back to back. But the nice thing is one of those terrible starters is about to get booted off the island. And maybe Alex Cobb isn't going to be the second coming of Cy Young or that prototypical ace. But he's got to be better than Chris Tillman and Mike Wright. So, again, we are going to be better than we were in the 2017 season just based off the performance of getting rid of two one one of the two pitchers that is absolutely abysmal. Plus, not having Ubaldo Jimenez or Wade Miley. Right, exactly. So, I mean, uh, again, I'm really looking forward to Alex Cobb, mainly so that it breaks up the terrible from the good, is the best way to describe it. So, I, I, like I said, there's a lot to look forward to, and there's a lot of reasons why people should be, A, going to baseball games, and B, if you're not going to baseball games because it's freaking cold outside right now, Turning yeah. into Mass and, and doing it. I am not beating the attendance no, drum tonight. Not at all. It is miserable. miserable. Miserable tonight. Slight drizzle, rain, and uh, cold. Not, not going to beat on that drum whatsoever. But hey, I'm serious about the positivity. Yeah. The, the Orioles season, I love baseball. Right. And I did not have the opportunity to love it in that first week. But here and now, get behind the team and enjoy this because there is a lot to love. You're absolutely right. Momentum is a thing, um, and it's time to get behind it. And there's nothing quite like momentum, such as winning Fantasy Boss. I'm actually not familiar with this uh, Gwen Stefani song. Scotty, I've got beef with you. I may have snookered you on this one. Dude, this this song was stuck in my head 
all last week. You're welcome. That No, that's not cool. It's absolutely welcome. No. I sat through a lot of meetings with this song stuck in my head. Good. Not cool. <laughs> what the heck happened in this week's Fantasy Boss? So I, I, I kind of played a trick on you is the best way to describe no. it. Imagine that. So you threw Babip out there, which... I personally think it's just a coin flip. Sure. It, it kind of is. How is Fantasy Boss not a coin flip? Yeah, you know, it, it's a slight coin flip. But There I, are two of us. I, I like to stack the odds a little bit if I can. So, Jake, we you went with BABIP to begin with, and I'm like, no, don't do BABIP. Do average minus BABIP. And what I did here was I decided to go ahead and put the equation out there. So BABIP is hits minus home runs over at bats minus Ks minus home runs plus sack flies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if we go through simple algebra, we're going to eliminate the home runs. So now we're left with hits divided by at bats minus K. So what this tells us is one should pick basically a, a player that has a high K rate because if he does so, you're more than likely going to do well. Sure. So you went with Trey Mancini, who's obviously a massive strikeout target. And I went with Jonathan Scope, who actually is a massive strikeout target. <laughs> <laughs> And, and lo and behold, Jonathan Scope actually did have a worse average minus BABIP due to it. So yay for K-rate. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Trey Mancini was a, wait for this, a negative 0.27. Yep. And uh, uh, Jonathan Scope was a negative 0.64. It's all because of the K-rate. All because of and the And the sack fly if there was one, but. There was no sack flies. Womp, womp, yeah. womp. All right. So I lose. You were to a commanding two nothing, nothing lead. So you're going on like a win streak of five. Yeah. Now don't in a row. don't worry. Yeah. I'll, I'll wipe that out. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not concerned. Uh, but that means it's up to me. Absolutely. Right? That means it is up to me to bring us some. Can I make new another suggestion category? this week? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Scott Magnus, I'm going to go with a category that does not require a slide rule. It's going to be RBIs, isn't it? It's not going to be RBIs. (laughs) Scotty, I would like to know um, which pitcher, which pitcher, Mm -hmm. not starter, not reliever, which pitcher do you think is going to record the most strikeouts this week? Ooh, the most strikeouts this week. I am going to go with, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go with Darren O'Day. Whoa. That is very interesting. Yeah. All right. I am, I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't feel good about this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to say Andrew Kashner. All right. I mean, Andrew Kashner, when he came into the season, um, was coming into basically having last year his lowest K per nine. But Andrew Kashner shown, has shown some pro, prolific change of arsenal in that Thursday's game, which you said was not memorable. But I thought Andrew Kashner looked absolutely filthy out there, pitching at 95 to 96 miles per hour with his fastball and demonstrating a great changeup. So, um, yeah, show me more to Andrew Kashner. I'm okay with that. I was impressed with him. I'm just hoping that I see that guy instead of the, the first start. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. I said, we're just going to go with a total count. Yeah, total case. Okay, total I, case. I'll stick with Darren O'Day, even though it's probably not going to happen, just to get this a little bit closer, I guess, but... Well, we'll see what happens. Darren O'Day versus Andrew Kashner. Who will own it? Hard on the good and bad and the ugly. I think it's time to blow the save. Let's, let's go ahead and do that. Let's let's blow some saves. Mm-hmm. 
Scotty, are you familiar with the meme of the guy sitting at the table with the blank paper that says, change my mind? Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. So, Scott, I need you to change my mind. Okay. I, um, let me just express some bona fides here. Uh, I'm a big Orioles fan. Yeah? I mean, as far as Orioles fans go, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm right up there. I also have some serious bona fides as far as being uh, fans of, of dorky things. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. I know that's going to surprise you. One of them is Star Wars. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm not only a big fan of Star Wars, I'm raising Star Wars fans. Sure. That's the most important thing that I can do in my life. Um, so it would seem that the connection between baseball and Star Wars would be like the pinnacle. Yeah. Obvious. I'm not loving the Orioles Star Wars night planned really? for May May 11th. May 11th, yeah. With the O'Day 1 Kenobi bobblehead. Okay. Here's the thing. I think that Star Wars night is great in Aberdeen. Okay. And I think it's great in Frederick. Okay. I think it's acceptable in Bowie. Okay. And I think it's just sad in Norfolk. And by the time you get to the major leagues... When you have Star Wars night, I'm just not digging it. And again, I love Star Wars, and I love baseball. Mm-hmm. But I feel like minor league attractions to go see my Baltimore Orioles, sure, it's kind of lame. Yeah. So tell me why I'm broken, why I'm wrong, and why Star Wars night should be something I'm, I should be more excited about. Okay. So uh, let me start off this, this simply. Um Jake, if your son were to go to Star Wars night mm-hmm. and he were going to sit there and they had fireworks going off with Star Wars music being played and you get to sit with your son and watch a baseball game, what's the issue here? How dare you bring my son into this to turn change my mind? And I'm also just going to point out that Lindo Carusian would obviously be a, be a great starting pitcher. It's the cape. The Absolutely. cape does the cape. every time. No question about Maybe it. Maybe it's the fact that I'm not a big bobblehead guy. Mm. Maybe that's... The issue at hand. I don't know. It seems kind of minorly kind of chintzy. I don't, I'm not a big deal. I'm it's not a big fan. It's almost like the Baltimore Orioles are trying to figure out how they can get people to come to the stadium this year. All right. You got me there. All right. Are we always saying in previous years, be creative, do something, Orioles? This is at least somewhat creative, and it's at least going outside of the box that they have done in the past. Good for the Orioles for doing it. Good for the Orioles for putting together a bobblehead. Good for them to basically say, hey, you need to go and buy a special ticket to buy this bobblehead so you just don't come in and basically take all the bobbleheads and walk right out of the stadium. We want you to come in and basically spend your money. Good for the Orioles. Bad for you, Jake. Um, Only a Sith deals in absolutes. (laughs) Thank you for for taking us there. I will note that the— You are the hating Christensen of this podcast. That hurts my feelings. It hurts my feelings. I'm the Natalie Portman of this podcast, so. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Um, I will say that the, the Orioles are not the only major league team that does this. Obviously, I saw the Judge Jedi bobblehead being advertised at Yankee Stadium during the last series. So clearly, we're not the only problem. Well, like I said, everyone turns to the dark side eventually, even a Jedi. All right. Well, that that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com.
Com. Bird's Eye View is available for download and wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time, unfortunately. <laughs> we love meeting new people and talking Orioles baseball with other diehard fans. We'll also, you know, hey, tweet Star Wars. Email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on Instagram, on Facebook, on Snapchat, but the best way to get a hold of us, the most dependable, is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. Jake, this is not the podcast you were hoping for. No? You know what? Just go kill some youngling Jedis. Maybe it'll make you feel better. I'm really uncomfortable with the number of prequel references going on here. I know how to hit you the wrong way. It's no good. My midichlorian content is very high. (laughs) You just mauled that. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.